Turn your Bibles not to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. I'm going to try to do something I've never successfully done, and that's preach a short message. 2 Thessalonians chapter number 3. And, uh, of course, it helps that I'm tired. Amen? I'm past tired. I'm into the realm of tired. And uh, camp ain't even started yet. And that sort of informs a little bit of what the message is about this evening. You'll understand that here in just a moment. Second Thessalonians chapter number 3. And I'd like to read the first three verses of this chapter and then we'll pray. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse number 1. The Word of God says, Finally, brethren, pray for us, that the Word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. Let's pray together. Father, we love you tonight. What a blessing. Lord, thank you for meeting with us this morning. Lord, I, I'm so thankful that you knew Walridge was having church at 11 o'clock. You showed up, Lord. You showed out met with us. And you met our needs. And I pray, Lord, that tonight, likewise, you'd meet with us. That you'd speak to each and every heart in the way that would please you the most. May we uh, draw from it, learn from it, gain from it. Uh, that which would make us more into the image of Christ. We'll be sure to thank you for it. Lord, we love you and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I am struck by the bluntness and simplicity of Paul's request here in Second Thessalonians chapter 3. Uh, he is very straightforward when he comes to the last chapter of this little book. He wants this uh, church of believers to know what he desires most out of them. And he says, brethren, I want you to pray for them. Pray for them. You know, this week as we go up to church camp, there's a great many that are not able for a various amount of reasons to be there. You might say, preacher, what's the best thing that I can do? And the best thing you can do for us is you can pray for us this week. There's a lot that goes into church camp. And this isn't a message just about church camp, although I'd be lying if I didn't say it was on my heart and mind uh, as we preach it tonight. There's a lot of ways that you can help. You can, we always give the four P's whenever we're leading up to camp. We'll talk about how that you can participate in camp. You can come and be a worker. You can promote camp. Let other uh, young people know about it and other families know about it. You can pay for a young person to go to camp and uh, make sure that uh, God's bill, bills are, are covered in a way that pleases Him. But the one we always mention as well is that you can pray for us. At this stage in things, you say, Preacher, what could I do? What would be better than anything? I, I wish I could be there, but I can't be there. I'm unable to be. I'm physically hindered. My work won't allow me to be. Whatever it might be, Preacher, I want to help. What can I do? The greatest thing you can do is every single day this week, take time to get alone and pray for the work of God that's taking place up on that hill in Big Ridge State Park. I, I don't know if we've still, I've not, I've not peeked over the pulpit. We've got a few of these prayer lists left. Uh, down here, and uh, I had a few folks point out to me that Brother Kerry's name is not on that church list, that prayer list. And uh, I, I've, I've given two different answers. One, the answer I've gave is he's so spiritual he don't need your prayers. And if you believe that, that's between you and God and your own conscience. Uh, the other is that he's just beyond hope. There ain't no reason to pray for him, amen? Really, the answer is the pastor inadvertently left his name off. But you can get one of those prayer lists and you can every day get along with God and pray for the names that are on that list. There are going to be names you do know on that list. There will be names you don't know on that list. Uh, but every name on that list, rest assured, heaven knows that name. God knows that name. And He's the one you're talking to. He's the one you're asking to pray. 
Uh, so you can pray for us this week. I'm struck by the bluntness. Paul uh, asked them directly. I want you. He does not say uh, send me money. He does not say uh, you know uh, make the road or the way easier for me. He does not say uh, protect me, but rather he says pray for me. Uh, I'm also struck by the fact that a man like Paul would covet the prayers of God's people. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, and, I, and I'm not trying to put anyone on a pedestal except the Lord Jesus Christ. He deserves to be high and holy, magnified, lifted up and exalted. But if the Apostle Paul asked me to pray for him, I mean, I, I'd feel sort of like John the Baptist did at the river of Jordan. I, I mean, let me pray for you, man. You ought to be, I ought to be asking you to pray for me. And yet Paul did not believe himself to be above asking for the prayers of God's people. Uh, you know, if Paul needed folks praying for him, then don't you believe you and I need folks praying for us? I found that the greatest way to get other folks to pray for you is to pray for them. Most of the time, the type of people uh, that will pray for you are ones that you have distinctly, specifically been praying for them. Now, there's a lot of good, gracious people who will pray for you even if you do not pray for them. But if you want more people praying for you, the best thing you can do is be a person of prayer yourself and deliberately make sure that you're praying for their needs and asking them how those things are going, what's going on in their life, what happened with this request, what happened with that request. You do that for people and you'll find they'll be ready to pray for you when you have a need in your life. The Apostle Paul asked this church to pray. It amazes me that he asks them, that he desires it. It shouldn't amaze me, but it gives me encouragement. It also admonishes me to recognize that if Paul desired the prayers of God's people, then surely you and I likewise are not above prayer. Uh, we are not uh, either below prayer, but rather just like Paul, we ought to approach people and ask them to pray for our needs and to pray with us over things. And we too ought to be engaging in intercessory prayer, praying for other people about the matters that are most urgent to them. And I want to give you just a few simple thoughts tonight framed out of this passage. And they'll speak to church camp, but they'll speak beyond that. And they'll speak to really the condition of any and every born-again believer that's trying to live for God, that's trying to serve God. The things I'll say about camp tonight could be said about your life and your ministry and what God is doing for you. So when we read our text tonight, the Apostle Paul begins by saying, Finally, brethren, pray for us. And then he makes three statements that give them the reason that he needs and covets their prayers. And I want you to notice them with me tonight. He says, finally, brethren, pray for us. This is why. This is what. This is what he's desiring. That the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. So, preacher, why is it you want us to pray for you this week? Why is it you want us to pray for church camp? Well, number one tonight, because the fields are white. The fields are white. Now you say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, you remember in John chapter number 4 when the Lord Jesus admonished His disciples and told them uh, that the fields are white and ready for harvest. Now, when grain is white, it's past uh, ripeness. It is getting ready to fall off the stalk and perish and die. And He tells them, listen, lift up your heads. Look on the field. Recognize that there is a great opportunity before us. Recognize that there is a great responsibility thrust upon us. And you and I have a duty to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and to do the work of God in whatever avenue and whatever location, whatever scope of influence that God has granted unto us. I'll tell you why you and I need folks praying for us because we've got a work to do for God. 
Now, that'll be true for a group of people up on that hill in Big Ridge State Park, but that's true for you in your life as well. You're going to meet people this week that are lost, that'll wind up in hell one day if they don't have a head-on collision with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you and I are remiss, if you and I are lazy, if you and I are absent in our duty to share the truth with them, then it could very really, very seriously mean the difference between heaven and hell for them. For that reason, we need folks praying for us. We need people to pray for us. What did Paul ask? Well, he asked a couple things here. And I want you to notice something. He says that the word of the Lord may have free course. Now, what does that mean, to have free course? It means to have an unobstructed path in as much as it is ministering and working and moving. As we go up to camp this week, one of the things that we as workers try to focus on But also one of the things that we pray for and ask God for is that He would remove all of the distractions uh, from the campers' lives, all of the distractions uh, from the campground, that when it's time to do business with God, they'd feel like it's nobody but them and heaven sitting there in that room. They would see nothing else, that they would have no other uh, battles of distraction that they would have to fight and face. You know, one of the reasons camp is so effective in kids' lives is because 90% of the distractions are left back at the house in the first place. Now, listen, I, I, I ain't against screens. I got a phone somewhere unless somebody took There it is. I got a phone there. I got televisions in my house and, and, and computers and things like that. I, I'm not against those things. Maybe I ought to be against them, but I got them just like you do. But you and I both understand that they serve as a great, vast distraction in a man's interactions with God. There is a quietude that is necessary for the soul to hear from God. And when we live in constant noise, there's never enough quiet time for the Holy Ghost to speak to our heart. Now you say, well, preacher, how does anybody get saved? Well, sometimes he yells. (laughs) But certainly when a man is left without some constant distraction, they are oftentimes forced to consider their own soul, their own mind, whether they have peace, whether they have contentment, whether they know God, they are left alone in that quietness to consider those things. So preacher, what is that? That's a free course. That is a circumstance in which the distractions have been removed and a man is left alone only to consider his soul and his standing with God. And Paul says, this is what I want you to pray uh, for the work of God. I want you to pray that God would remove the obstacles, would remove the barriers, that God would remove the distractions, that as we minister the Word of God, it would not be bound in any way, shape, or form, but that God would just have a clear runway to take the plane off and to do a work in people's lives. We're praying for that and we're asking you to pray for that this week. But has it ever occurred to you to pray for that in your daily life? You know, your steps, just like mine, are not by accident. And you and I are going to come across people. We're going to meet them day by day. And if you're active in sharing the gospel, you know this to be true. The moment you start sharing the gospel with someone, the distractions start flooding in like a swarm of mad hornets trying to distract, trying to hinder, trying to stop the work of God, as you're sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I need you to pray for me, and you need me to pray for you, that when those moments arrive, that the Holy Ghost would push all those things away. Focus the mind of the person that you're witnessing to, that they can hear the truth of the gospel. 
in much soul winning training, particularly in years gone by, they'd train people to go out and knock on doors very often. They'd have uh, a, a number two person whose sole job was to try to ward off distractions. Uh, their sole job was play with the kids if they were being noisy, to pet the dog if it was barking, to uh, do whatever. I mean, to, to uh, you know, uh, get the tea kettle off the stove if it started whistling, whatever it was, so that, that main person could witness to whoever they were dealing with uh, and it be undistracted. Paul's saying we want the Word of God to have all the room it needs to work in the human heart. We're praying this week that the Word of God would have all the room it needs to work in human hearts. But also in your life and mine, we should be praying and asking for God to go before us in our daily life to make divine appointments with people uh, that are kept by the providence of God and in those moments to remove distractions and to give free course. He's praying for an open door, an opportunity. But then notice what he says, uh, that the Word of the Lord may have free course. And then he says, and be glorified even as it is with you. Now, Paul spends some time writing to the church at Thessalonica and talking about the radical transformation that the gospel of the grace of God had made in their life as people. He talks about how they had turned from idols to serve the living God. He talks about how they received the Word of God, not as the Word of men, but as it is in truth, the Word of God, uh, and that it effectually worked in the lives of those that believe. In other words, this was a church that the Holy Ghost had crashed in on, saved some people, changed their lives, transformed them, and Thessalonica had never been the same since then. This little body of believers, they weren't just, and I'm careful how I say, I know a man's either saved or not saved, but they weren't just barely in. Man, they all the way in. I'm talking about they went from being idolaters to being soul winners. Uh, they went from being pagans to being preachers. God had radically transformed their life. And Paul says, here's what I'm praying for. I'm asking God to do in the lives of the people that we're trying to reach right now. I'm asking for God to do as transformative a work in their life as He has done in your life. In other words, He is not just merely praying for good ground but he is praying for deep roots. He's praying that there would not merely be a response in that moment, that it wouldn't just spring up with joy, but having no root, perish and wither away, but rather that God would do a lasting work in the hearts of the people that he's ministering to. One of our great emphasis at our church camp, and I'm proud of this. I hope it's not carnal pride. I don't think it is. I think it's the right kind of pride. But one of the things I'm proud of in our church camp, is how many young people get assurance of their salvation. And you might say, well, preacher, what a strange thing to be proud of. Well, here's why I'm proud of it. Because at many places, uh, personal workers would just walk them through a prayer, mark their name down again, and say, glory to God, another one got saved. Now listen, if a young person has never made a profession of faith, of course that's what they need. They need to be shown the gospel. They need to be given an opportunity to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But we try to go to great lengths to train our people to not give, uh, not ask leading questions to the kids, uh, not take, uh, you know, uh, unclear or, or, or murky answers, but to really try to get to the heart of what a child is dealing with. I, I, to always, I always tell our workers, ask open-ended questions. Don't ask yes and no questions. Uh, a chimpanzee can answer yes and no questions. Ask questions that they have to give you some information for whenever they answer it. I always tell our workers, look at, look at, uh, that, those questions, look at it like a, like a purchase. Look at it like a negotiation. When you ask a question, you ought to get something in return. If you ask somebody, do you want to go to heaven when you die? Uh, it don't matter how they answer, you didn't get nothing in return because everybody's going to say yes to that. And so we always encourage them to, to be careful in how they deal with them. But now you say, well, preacher, why do you say all that? Because I want you to understand we value 
not only height, but depth, spiritually speaking. It ain't just counting noses. Now, we, we praise God for every one of them that gets born again. I want more of them to get saved rather than less of them to get saved. But our desire is not just that the Word of God would have free course and there would be an instantaneous reception of it, but rather that it would go beyond that and that the Word of God would be glorified in their life as they begin to live a life under the glory of God and the Word of God begins to take root in them. We can maybe say it this way. All this boils down to essentially two things. Paul says, I want you to pray for us. The, the fields are white. And what does he say when he says that? Well, number one, he says this. There's a great opportunity to be seized. We have before us an open door. I was going to preach on that thought, and the Lord didn't give me liberty to tonight. Sometimes the, the Lord don't give me liberty to, so I preach what He wants me to, and then in the middle of the message, I preach what I wanted to. And He seems to be okay with that. He ain't struck me dead yet over it. So, <laughs> but uh, three times the Apostle Paul talks about an open door. Open door. Talks about it twice in the epistles to church at Corinth and once in the epistle to the church at Colossae and he talks about an open door, an open door. What does that mean? It means an opportunity. Uh, the Apostle Paul says we need to pray for God to use us effectively as we minister because this is a great opportunity to be seized. God could do amazing things this week. By the way, not just up at camp. In your life this week, if you're, even if you ain't going to be there this week, God could use you to reach people with the gospel, to see people saved, to see their lives transformed for the glory of God. Every day as a child of God, there is a great opportunity to be seized. Every day as a, an ambassador of Christ, there is a great opportunity to be seized. But you know, there's a flip side of that. If there is a great opportunity to be seized, that means there's also a great opportunity to be squandered. So the question very simply would be this, what are we doing with it? What are we doing with it? I didn't say that we that we are spiteful towards the opportunity. I said sometimes we squander the opportunity. I didn't say we despise it. I said sometimes we disregard it. We, we ain't mad at God over it, but very often He'll give us an open door and we'll just merely stand there. We don't, we don't kick it closed, but we just stand there and won't go through it. This week we have a great opportunity to be used of God. I hope, I pray, I trust. We wouldn't do it every year if we didn't believe that. And how easy it would be to let the devil get in what we're doing up there this week. How easy. I promise you, man, he's he's up there tonight. And I ain't talking about none of the camp workers already there. Don't go tell them I said that. But he's up there tonight, man. He's waiting. He was up there before our workers ever got up there. And let me speak explicitly. I don't think the devil himself, but I certainly think that his his minions, his emissaries, and his wicked work was already. He's got a plan to try to destroy what will happen this week. But you know, that's no less true of your life day by day. Everything, every encounter that you have in your life, you have an opportunity to let that thing be used of God or allow that thing to be weaponized by the devil. What will you do with those opportunities? But Paul says, pray for us, brethren. The first reason is because the fields are white. And then he says in verse 2, this statement. He says, and pray that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. For all men have not faith. Now, I thank the Lord that this week at church camp, there's some, we're not going to be facing exactly what Paul faced. You and I both know that Paul spent several, uh, several seasons of his life behind bars. Paul wound up dying a martyr's death at the hand of Nero, the wicked king, emperor of Rome. We're not going to be facing, I don't suppose, anything like that this week. But you mark her down, though we may not be facing those types of obstacles, we will be facing obstacles just the same 
The devil will be seeking to destroy it. And so I'd say it this way. Pray for us this week. And we ought to pray for you this week as you minister and do the work of God in your life. Number one, because the fields are white. But number two, because the battle is real. The battle is real. Paul says, listen, you better pray for us because ain't, ain't everybody for what we're doing. Can I just say to you, you better pray for your church because ain't everybody for what goes on here on Wall Ridge Road. And, and, and I don't believe I'm talking about anybody that would call this place their, their home, their church home. I, I'm not talking about the hostility or danger in house, but I'm just saying there's a world that would love to do anything it could to shut down what God is doing here. If you don't believe that, let's just re-roll the tape from last year. You say, well, preacher, you know, things going on, pandemic, people are sick. Listen, I know, I'm not saying that every single measure that was taken was meant as an open hostility against the worship of the God of the Bible. But you better mark it down. There's some folks pretty pleased about the idea that churches could not. Meet. I'm talking about politicians. I'm talking about thought leaders. I'm talking about cultural icons. Uh, there's some of them, they weren't too broken up about the idea that God's people couldn't get together and meet. And even in this city, there were people that loathed and detested the idea that God's people would get together and worship. Don't fool yourself. Ain't everybody for what goes on in this place. And ain't everybody for you living for God and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. This battle is real and we better quit playing games about it or else we'll squander that opportunity. What, what kind of a battle is it? Well, notice how Paul frames this. He says, pray that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. Now, those are two separate things. One, when he talks about wicked men, he characterizes that in the next statement. He says, all men have not faith. He's talking about active wickedness and evil and sinisterness. But that first statement is not really indicative. That first phrase is not really indicative of deliberate evil, but rather of the natural condition of mankind. He, he calls men unreasonable. He says there are unreasonable. Now, what does it mean to be unreasonable? It means not that you're not smart. There's plenty of people that are dumb that are reasonable. There are plenty of people that ain't too bright that are reasonable. I, I, I claim to be one of them. Amen. But to be unreasonable means to be unwilling to see the truth of things. It means to be blind as to the reality of a situation and to be uh, to be implacable as far as fi fixing and changing that about yourself. To be unreasonable is somebody you can't talk to, somebody you cannot show the truth, somebody that's unwilling to. And you know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of what the Apostle Paul talks about in the book of Romans when he's talking about the flesh. I don't have it right in front of me, but you know the passage that I'm referring to when he, he makes this statement. He says that the carnal mind is enmity against God. That the carnal mind, the flesh, cannot understand the things of God. It cannot discern them, for they are spiritually discerned. And the carnal mind is at enmity with God. It's not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. Can I say it this way? Your flesh is unreasonable. It's unreasonable. doesn't matter if you know the truth. Your flesh will still desire a lie. doesn't matter if you show to yourself what you know is true, what you know is right. Your flesh will still desire that which is wrong. And I would say it this way. You say, preacher, what are you getting at? Well, the battle's real this week. And one of those battles is we battle the infirmity of the flesh. Now, you want to see some people get unreasonable. Come come up about Friday morning, all right? Uh, you'll see some unreasonable people at camp. 
I'm talking about people that sunburnt and hungry and tired and sweaty and nasty. Been there all week and, and they're just, I'm going to use this term, they are what we call over it. They are over it. Why does that happen? Well, because the flesh is weary and the flesh is weak. I have no doubt, everybody on that campground, you ain't there because you have to be, because you don't have to be. You ain't there because the money's good. I promise you that, because there ain't no money in it. You're there because you want to be. But there'll be people by the end of the week, that spirit is willing. That flesh has grown weary and grown weak. Why do we need to pray for our workers this week at camp? Because it ain't easy what they're doing. And they've got to battle the flesh just like I've got to battle it, just like you back here in town have to battle it. Although I would say this, let me grant them uh, this, this truth that probably for most of them relative to most of us, it's going to be a little harder for them this week. They're going to be dealing with elements and dealing with problems and dealing with things that are not normal. Uh, things that they do not every day come into contact with and, and conflict with. And they're going to be fighting these things. I'm just telling you this week, we need a real mortification. I'm going to say it right here in a second. A real uh, mortifying of the flesh if we're going to see the work of God done. We have to recognize, I'm speaking to camp workers right now because I've got a bunch of them in the room. We have to realize that just as sure as anything, our flesh is our greatest enemy this week. If we listen to it, if we yield to it, there'll be those moments where somebody finds your uh, last nerve and stomps all over it. And in that moment, your flesh is going to feel fully, thoroughly, righteously vindicated and flying off the handle. If you listen to your flesh, there's a good chance you'll blow an opportunity that God has for you. We battle the infirmity of the flesh. And we need to recognize that. It's hard sometimes doing the work of God and serving the Lord. I've I've never preached. I've had a sermon for years about how hard it is to serve God and that at times it is hard to serve God. And it spends a little time talking about Isaiah who uh, was tasked with walking around naked for three and a half years. And it talks about Ezekiel who had to eat bread that was made out of cow dung. It talks about Hosea who had to go and marry a wife of whoredoms and see his heart and his family ripped into pieces. Just sometimes serving God is an ugly, messy thing and it's not easy. But the work is worth it. And you better believe the fruit is worth it. We battle that flesh, man, that infirmity. We need prayer for that. Not just up at camp, but you back here. Your flesh is going is going to be battling you this week. I mean, can I just? I'm going to take just an ounce of liberty and say this tonight. Well, no, I ain't going to say that. I ain't going to take that liberty. Let me just say to you, there is great opportunity both for the Lord and for the devil, both up there, both back here, and it's up to you and I to see that God gets the victory. This week, I think I think you know we, we battle the infirmity of the flesh. But then he says this: not only are we are we facing down unreasonable men, but we're facing wicked men. Now, I don't believe. I hope this to be true. I don't believe that uh, up at camp that there's going to be any active, willful human wickedness on display in trying to withstand uh, what we're doing. It wouldn't be the first time if there was, but I don't believe there will be this week. I'm hopeful that there will not. But though it may not be manifest through the human mind and deliberate withstanding, you go ahead and mark her down. We'll be battling not only the infirmity of the flesh, we will be battling the hostility of the devil this week. He hates what's going to take place. He hates it. He, 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 would, he would sooner bury us than permit us to do what we're going to do this week. I know you're thinking, preacher, this ain't nothing but church camp. It's kids swimming and playing basketball and volleyball. You ain't never been up there then. If you've been up there, you'd know that's not true. 
there's swimming, there's volleyball, there's basketball, listen, there's cooking and there's responsibilities, there's taking out the trash and, and wiping down tables, there's all those things. But hey, guess what else is going on up there? The Holy Ghost is working on kids' hearts. The Word of God is sounding forth. God's getting an entrance and an open door and an opportunity in the lives of people, not just by the way kids, but workers. There's workers learning how to crucify self and put themselves on the cross and put Christ on the throne and allow God to get glory out of their life and learning lessons and seeing the goodness of God. I'm saying all these things are going on this week. And listen, the devil don't care whether we wipe tables. The devil don't care whether we take out the trash. Except in as much as those things permit the other things God is doing. Then he cares very deeply about it. And he's going to do everything he can to try to disrupt it. Up there, back here, no matter where it is, he's going to try to destroy the work of God. We need people praying for us. So when I read this, I, I see first we need people praying because the fields are white. We need them praying because the battle is real. But we need them praying for a third reason. Look at verse 3. Now let's read the whole thing. It's just three verses. Paul says, finally, brethren, pray for us. Pray for us for a few things. Pray that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. And pray that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. For all men have not faith. And pray, brethren... Because the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. He says, but the Lord is faithful. All these things are set against us, and we know that. But we also know that the Lord is faithful. And we know He has a desire to establish us and to keep us from evil. Why do I need you to pray this week? Well, one, because the fields are white. Two, because the battle is real. But three, because the Lord's faithful. I wouldn't ask you to pray if I thought God wouldn't hear your prayers. I wouldn't ask you to pray if I thought God wasn't interested in what we're doing. I sure enough wouldn't be up there sweating, dealing with everything that goes on up there, and I bet you wouldn't either if God wasn't in it. What a shame it would be because of our selfishness, because of our spiritual nearsightedness to allow an opportunity to be squandered when the God of glory is willing to sit down on that hill and be a co-laborer with us in the work of God. I, listen, I, we ought to be praying for others. Why? Because the Lord's faithful. And He can work in their lives. He can help them. Why should people be praying for us? Because the Lord's faithful and we need Him to help us in our life. What does this suggest to us? Well, notice a couple things here. One, Paul talks about what God will perform. He says God will establish you. In other words, God is going to assist in what you are doing and what He is doing through you. And here's what you're doing when you're establishing something. You're going along and taking something that's being done and you are concreting it, you are fixing it in a certain place. You know, what you and I do, the work of God, we have a responsibility, but it's never going to take root if God don't get His hands on it. It's never going to live beyond the things that we say. The moment we take our hands off of it, it will die if God's hands are not on it. God says, Paul says about the Lord, says, pray for us. Because we need, the moment we take our hands off this work, we need God's hands to already be on it. We need Him to have established this thing and for Him to give it roots and legs and foundation so that it can go on and be something for the glory of God. This week, we're not just looking to fill a week. I, I mean, I'll be honest with you, there, there's, there's better places to swim and better places to play volleyball. There's better places to do all that fun stuff, all that temporal stuff, whatever that is. I'm not sure there's a better place to eat this week. But there are better places to do most of those things. Uh, that's not why we're going up there. That's not what we're in. We're not just interested in giving parents. I know, I know there are parents that think this. 
Not in this room, I don't think, but there are parents that think we do this like this is parents' day out. We're just on steroids. We're just trying to give them a week without their kids. I promise you that's not it. I, I don't I don't love my kids that much, let alone your kids that much. That's not what this is about. It's not about, in other words, just getting our hands busy for a week. It's not about what happens this week. It's about what hopefully continues to happen after this week. And the only way that's going to happen is if God gets His hands on this work that we're doing. I see what God's able to perform. Number two, I see what God will prevent. He says He'll keep you from evil. He'll keep you from evil. I'll be honest with you, there's times I sit down and wonder if I'm crazy. What we're doing this week, carting almost 60 kids up there with nothing but a thin waiver release form to protect all that God does back here on Woolridge Road. All the dangers that are involved in it. I mean, we live in a society today where victimhood is predatory. And there are people that make a living out of trying to destroy other people to get what money they can out of. And I, there's a lot of churches don't do what we're doing this week. And here's why they, they, they say too much liability, too much risk. And I've thought sometimes, man, maybe we're crazy to do it. Why do we do this? We don't do it because it brings in money. It eats up money. We don't do it because it brings in people. I wish it did. But I'll be honest with you, and you stick around long enough, you'll see it to be the case, though there will be people whose lives are transformed as with any work of God, the fruit that grows in the future far outweighs the harvest that you get to reap. We ain't doing it for that. And it'd be easy to look at it and say, what's the reason? Is that not too dangerous? Is it worth it? Well, it's worth it. It's worth it for two reasons. One, because God has called us unto it. But you say, preacher, what about the liability? What about the danger? Now, I'm not going to stand up here and tell you there'll never be any danger. I'm not going to tell you there'll never be any tragedy that there'll never be any difficulty, that there'll never be uh, any calamity that arises from Because I don't know. I have no idea. But I do know this, that God has the ability to keep us from evil. Whatever evil may befall us, it won't take God by surprise. It'll be because He prescribed it for our life. By the way, that's true for your life as well, day by day. Whatever befalls you, it didn't sneak past God while He was napping. The God of Israel neither slumbereth nor sleepeth. It's there deliberately, on purpose in your life, because He's able to keep us from evil. I, you know this to be true. The term evil in the Bible is used basically in two ways. It can be used uh, concerning a moral condition. In other words, wickedness, unrighteousness. But in this passage, when it talks about evil, it's talking about unpleasantness. And what Paul's saying is, you know, the work of God that we're doing, it's, it's not simple, it's not easy, there's a danger involved with it. By the way, this man would go on to die a martyr's death. And he says, there's been a great many times I've been in peril. He spends an entire chapter in 1 Corinthians talking, or in 2 Corinthians talking, about the great dangers and calamities that have befell him. But you say, he said, you know, every single one of those, it did not surprise God. He was faithful in all of those, and he is able to keep that from me and to keep me from that if he desires to do so. Why do I need you to pray this week? Because God's able to protect us. He's able to protect those kids. Listen, we've had our share of, uh, of bumps and bruises and scrapes and cuts and broken bones and asthma attacks and everything else. That, that, that's, that's the occupational hazard of what we're doing. And I'm not saying if those things happen, God's failed. But what I am saying is this. We'd have to be crazy to do this if we didn't think God was able to protect us. 
And by the way, in your life, to be a witness and to see the work of God done, you'd have to be crazy to do it if you didn't believe God was able to protect you. But you know what? The Lord is faithful. He is faithful. So I see that, I see what He is, what, what He performs and what He will prevent. But then, can I, can I notice something that's not there? There's some preachers, that's their whole sermon. But I just want to do it for one moment. Can I notice something that's not there? I see what He will perform. I see what He will prevent. But I also notice this, that we must participate. No, it's not very cleanly laid out or alliterated, but can I just notice this simple simple thought? It never says that God will miraculously do the work for us. He will establish that which we are affecting. He will keep us from evil that endeavors to stop us. But it never says, you just lay up in the lap of luxury and God will come along and do all your work for you. Instead, it is implicit that you and I are going to be doing our part. So here's the question I have. The Lord is faithful, but are we? Are we? See, the question is not whether God's up to the task. The question is whether we've even set our hand to that task. It never says God will miraculously do the work for us. See, the truth is we must do two things. One, we must stand. If He is to establish us, we must stand. If He is to establish us, we must serve. We must do our part. And we can rest assured God will do His part. It's not because God is unable to do both parts, but it's because God desires that we be co-laborers with Him. It's the term Paul used. We are laborers together with God. Say, preacher, God could do it all on His own. I agree. But He chose not to. He don't need you or me. Oh, what a blessing it is that He let us. Listen, I, 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 I mean that He'd let me, just little old mutt of a donkey that ain't nothing or nobody, yoke up next to a beast of burden like Him. What an amazing thing that I could share His yoke. But we have to be willing to put ourselves under that yoke and to serve alongside of Him if we want the work of God done. Pray for us this week. I'm going to be praying for you this week. And we ought to be praying for one another, both at camp and here. But we ought to be praying also for ourselves likewise, that God would use us this week for His glory, for His honor. We won't necessarily do an altar of prayer, but we are going to have an invitation. If you'd like to take a moment and find a place here, just pray for our church camp. Pray for me. Pray for our workers. Pray for yourself and pray for each other. I think that would be a fitting thing to do in this invitation. Let's bow together this evening. The altar's open, the musician's coming. I want to give you the opportunity to meet God in the altar. Now, Father, bless this invitation. May it magnify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in His precious name.